Good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing? Apologize for the funny accent. Um, you probably get too much of it from coming out of movies anyway, so it's probably not too odd for you. I do love Ireland. Uh, I have heritage and roots back into Ireland, as most Americans claim one way or another, as you already know. Um, mine come out of County Antrim, not too far from here. And, um, and so I think I was riding over with Rick Preston, and he was a, he was a little upset that he lives in County Antrim, because I guess he grew up in a different county now. Uh, is that right, Rick? Where are you at here? Yeah, you're still upset about that prayer ministry afterwards. Um, I do love Ireland. I am uh, a little bit sad. I watched your rugby. I know. To bring it up. I had to. But I felt we had to clear some things out so we could start with just laying on of hands or any, if there's any real sadness in the room today, uh, you'll be taking a prayer line for that probably. So oh, you fought hard. It was, it was, it was well fought. My, my South African team, so Julie is South African. So my first exposure to rugby, I know very little about it, but my first exposure was the Springboks, so I think they're playing right now. If anyone's checking scores on your phone, don't call them out. Okay. So um, I'm just thankful to um, continue to partner with what the Lord is doing in Ireland. I'm excited to see uh, all of our 24-7 tribe kind of land here, 40 different nations, and hopefully you will be able to make. I would encourage you, even if you can make a part of it, I think we're going to see a unique experience of the presence of God as nations come together. Um, right now, we have some people coming from Beirut. You maybe have looked on the news in Lebanon and Beirut. Um, there's huge protests and riots. There's also protests happening in Chile right now. And so let's just take just a moment and just proclaim the peace of God over these nations. Lord, from the heart of Ireland today, we want to proclaim the kingdom of God coming in the center of Beirut. We say peace in Jesus Christ. We ask right now, Lord, in the center of Beirut, that you would bring a calm that is redemptive, that this would not turn uh, the government upside down in the wrong way or crash the economy, but you would leverage this for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that this unease, this disrest would be used for the kingdom of heaven. We pray, strengthen our leaders on the ground in the heart of Beirut right now. We also pray for peace over Chile right now, God. We thank you for what you're doing in the nations. Amen. Thanks for doing that. Would you continue to pray for our, our team right there in the middle of Beirut? They're right there praying in the middle of the protests. About a million gathered last night there. So nations are shaking, literally, but Jesus' peace is being established in the middle of that. I'm excited this morning to uh, continue your series uh, looking at these six practices of following Jesus in all of life. That's how I define a disciple, someone who follows Jesus, not just in what we call the sacred parts of life, but in all of life. And we do that together. And um, I think we're in creativity. Um, this message, I'll admit, is sort of God's creativity to me. I was just in my daily Bible reading. I got assigned a topic, which I was excited about because I've never preached on creativity before. Um, we've been around lots of creativity in our community, um, but I never had the privilege of kind of pressing into it. I was just in my daily Bible reading, and I felt the Lord kind of bring me right into John chapter 1 and chapter 2, this idea of water to wine. And so this morning's a bit of a creative exercise because I began to see things that I hadn't seen before. In fact, I wouldn't have thought of it. Um, so I want to have some fun with this story this morning and open it up in a minute. But um, you guys looked at, I believe last week, God as a creator, the one who made us in his image. 
So every single one of you is a unique, unrepeatable creation of God. The reason that we exist, I believe, in God's unique, beautiful, creative design was to fascinate God himself forever. Have you ever thought about yourself that way, that you're God's idea? In fact, let's just say that. I am. Okay, I know you're Irish, but I've watched your rugby match. So I am God's unique, unrepeatable creation. I am God's idea. I will fascinate God forever. Some of you look in the mirror and do not believe that. You're like, I don't know if I even fascinate myself. Maybe some of you think you fascinate yourselves too much. Um, But you were created to fascinate God. That's why you're alive. You take God's breath away. You move him. There will never be another one like you before or after. That is why you're alive, for God's own enjoyment, for God's own fascination. That's how creative you are. You are God's idea, God's poem, God's masterpiece. I believe you looked at that scripture even in Ephesians. You're God's workmanship, his master plan. Now, we all are very aware of our cracks and our flaws and our failures and our faults and sin has wreaked havoc, uh, you know, carnage and damage on our creation. And we know that the, the reflection's often shattered, the mirror's often broken. But we heard about Jesus coming, doing something we could not do. Coming to restore the fractured, shattered image. Coming to make a masterpiece. And I was riding here on the way, uh, actually, uh, to Kansas City. There was a guy driving me to the airport. And he began to tell me his story of the carnage of his life, eaten up by drugs, by heroin, by crystal meth. In and out of prison from 15 to 28 years old. He could not come clean. He knew he was going to go back to jail and even going back to jail, which he hated with all of his being, could not get him free of the drugs. But then he said, Jesus came. Jesus came and actually freed him from addiction. God is making a masterpiece out of our brokenness. We all are aware of our flaws and our failures and our faults, but God is doing something to restore. He's doing something creative, something beautiful. He's restoring his original design for your life. And so I want to open up, if you have your Bible, I didn't actually uh, bring this on the screen, this story. I'm going to read it to you. If you don't, you can listen and engage your imagination. It's John chapter 2, the Gospel of John chapter 2. A little bit of context for chapter 2 is, of course, in chapter (laughs) 1. John's gospel is really beautiful. John's gospel is the proclamation of a new genesis. There's no way around it. The very first words, in the beginning, John was being very precise. He's taking us all the way back to Genesis chapter word, the first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. God infinitely fascinating. God Before anything else was real or created, there is God. Can you imagine what was that like? Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, John takes us further and says, with God was the Word. 
And what he's proclaiming in chapter one is there's a new Genesis. There's a culmination to the first creation. And now God wants to bring forth a new creation. And the way he's going to bring forth a new creation is through this eternal word who is with God, who all things were made like rainbows and cells and squirrels and everything else. This one who is delighting at the side of the Father, this one is now going to become a part of the creation. He is going to leave God's glory and he's going to enter our story and he's going to put on our skin and he's going to live in our world that he made. This is the new creation moment. And it says that this one would be born, he would move into the neighborhood, and eventually in his hometown, he would call some friends to follow him, following Jesus in all of life. He would find Andrew, and Andrew would find his brother, Peter, and then he would find Philip, and Philip would find his friend, Nathaniel, and they would end up going to a wedding together. Just three, four miles from where Jesus grew up. So this is his hometown environment. This is the context of chapter two. A new creation, Jesus at the center of it with his friends. And um, we're going to spend our time looking at the wedding. So chapter two, verse one, I'm just going to read this story out. And I want you to engage your senses, put yourself in the story, engage your imagination. This is a part of creativity. We don't just read the scripture, we enter into the story. And even we let the story read us. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, There was six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew where it came from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, the poor wine. But you, you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God. Beautiful, right? What a story. So I want to look into this story a little bit further. Um, You've now heard the whole thing. There's so many incredible things in this story. I would like to say, though, something that is so profound to me. Jesus did his first miracle, not because he wanted to, but because his mom asked him to. It's just flat funny. (laughs) Mom had some serious pull. And so um, he did his first miracle at Mary's request. And another thing that really strikes me about the story that probably won't come into the rest of my teaching is that Jesus did the miracle not so anyone would know that he did it other than those couple of servants, but so that the bridegroom would look good on his wedding day. 
I think a lot more miracles may happen if we didn't put them on our websites and our podcasts, but we just did miracles to make other people look good, to serve other people. It's just a sideline. It's not a part of my talk. It's just fascinating. All right, so let's go into the actual context. So why is it on the third day? That's where it starts. The third day, obviously that rings some God story bells. We'll get to some of that. But in the Jewish tradition, they had weddings on the third day, often because the third day was considered double blessed. Why was the third day considered double blessed? Again, you have to go back to the first Genesis creation. The Jews knew that on the Tuesday, the third day of their week, it was the only time in the creation account that God said, it is good two times. So on that day, he said, it is good two times. So it's sort of lucky to get married on a Tuesday. It's double blessed. I remember um, lots of people getting married on 777, you know. Uh, Does everyone remember that? There was like weddings all over the world because somehow it was like a lucky day to get married. Well, in the Jewish tradition, this was a beautiful day. Well, it was also practical. It gave people a chance to travel after Sabbath to make it on a Tuesday and then stay because their weddings were quite an event, right? And so right here in in the heart of this moment of creativity is this It is good moment, this double blessed moment and this moment of wedding. Now, I'm going to take some liberties with the story because in this story, I found all this uh, idea of creativity kind of jumping out at me. So some of it is going to be metaphor. Some of it's going to be what actually happened. But I want us to kind of open up the heart of what creativity is out of this story that I love. Now, the second part of this is where the wedding kind of, you know the moments, have you ever been at a party and all of a sudden, or seen the movie, the music stops, everybody kind of looks, and it's kind of like the crash, the failure moment of the wedding, uh, of, the, of the party. Well, this was this moment. It says, the moment the wine ran out. Now, here's the deal. Like, they enjoyed the celebration. They enjoyed the drink. They enjoyed the festivity. But it was a huge shame to the bridegroom for the wine to run out. This is really the context of where creativity begins in this talk. It was the moment the wine ran out. And the word we want to look at, the first word that I want to look at, if this works, does this work? Help me out. Oh, there it is. Has a little delay. Is restore. Um, so, The moment the wine runs out at the wedding is the moment that the big day turns into the big screw-up. I don't know how many of you have had those moments in life where the big moment turn into the shameful moment, turn into the failure moment. But this is the context that Jesus does this creative miracle. It's the moment when the wine runs out. And what I've seen in my life is that the starting place of creativity The starting place of God's ideas is usually the place that my resources run out. It's the place where I'm willing to acknowledge my failure, my weakness, and my limited ability or resources. In our everyday lives, we usually won't tap into creativity until we acknowledge that we don't have what it takes, that our ability, our resources has run out. And usually that's the place where we feel some kind of failure or shame in our life. Some kind of limitation. Some kind of 
feeling of, I don't really want to show God this part of my life. And this is the place where the wine runs out. And um, I think that that can be a difficult place to acknowledge. I remember uh, in our early days of our church, we probably more than half of our church community um, was those who would self-identify as creatives. And it was incredible to watch all of these artists flood into the church. I remember one of the first times we were sitting in a circle and I said, welcome to the church. And I usually in those days wouldn't even use that word church because it would trigger so many emotions. I don't know if that's the same. Actually, I know it is the same because I was just riding with one of your taxi drivers uh, in Dublin and I mentioned the word church and man, it sent him on a rampage. <laughs> but I used the word welcome to the church and tears started flowing down their faces because a lot of them sitting in that circle never thought that their world as creatives could exist with the church. Because the church to them was the place that shut down creativity. It was the place where imagination was drained out. And I remember wanting to help these creatives press into creativity, but we felt the Father say, in order to become more creative, don't talk to them about creativity. Talk to them about identity. And it was a fascinating thought for me. I was thinking, how does talking to them about identity bring forth creativity, bring forth restoration? And I started realizing that the reason, the connection is that those of us, and this has been me all my life, who have identified or had my identity in my performance or in what I could produce, or in my skills, or in my abilities. We are so scared to fail. My biggest fear in life was failure. But the problem is when your identity is linked to performance and your biggest fear is failure, you never take risks, which means you'll never create. And it's not until your identity is rooted, and this is back to John chapter 1, here comes Jesus, full of what? Grace and truth. This morning we sang amazing grace. I was a wretch. But some of us are still identifying ourselves by our failures, not by the favor of the Father. To this morning we came to the table, but some of us are still, we remember our biggest screw-ups and our shame and our sin instead of remembering that we're sons and daughters fully forgiven. And the birthplace of creativity is when our wine runs out. And in the middle of our biggest failure, we actually dare to believe our identity has been restored by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Creativity is birthed from the liberation of your identity from performance. You're looking at me. Is this making any sense? <laughs> I think the Father desperately wants to free us in our everyday moments, in our everyday lives, to be able to risk because our identity is not in if it works or doesn't work. And unless we're willing to risk and daring to risk, I find that creativity doesn't work. And unless we're willing to say, actually, I'm at the end of my resource, my wine has run out, we cannot tap in, and we've heard this story, into the miraculous place of the Holy Spirit. Inside of every one of your bodies lives the most creative being in the universe. Unlimited resource. 
Some of us think that all that our life is is water, but God actually looks and goes, I've put wine inside of you. Inside of that ordinary vessel, I've put wine. And it is at the place where you feel the most empty, the most out, the most I don't have any resource that I can actually leverage creativity. I want to show you this beautiful picture. Um, this picture that's coming up, this is a, um, a picture of a, of a vessel, obviously. And the Japanese art called Kintsuji. Kintsuji is a, is a beautiful ancient practice of the Japanese. It's something Americans would never do. <laughs> Kintsuji is repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with a lacquer mixed with gold. And I actually got this off a guy named John Tyson, who does a, just a beautiful talk about this. They treat the breakage and repair as a part of the history of an object, object rather than something to disguise. Not only is there no attempt to hide the damage, but the restoration is literally illuminated. I don't know about you, but this is the gospel. This is the work of the Father. This is Jesus walking through a wall and, and saying to his disciple Thomas, touch my scars. My scars are still in my resurrected body. Has that ever blown anyone else's mind? That nothing will be wasted from the pain of your life? That nothing will be wasted from the cracks and the flaws? But maybe even in resurrection, we will be able to show the glory of God in our scars? That nothing that you've gone through will be wasted. In fact, the very places that enem the enemy and sin has damaged you and broken you are the places God lights up with gold. They're the places of testimony. They're the places of restoration. And I think they're the beginning places of creativity. So right here in this creative expression of the Japanese, we see a display of the gospel. Where the cracks are, where the wine runs out, is the place of the creative miracle. So I wonder if we would be able to just take a moment and wait before the Lord. We talked about waiting. Is there any place in your life where God wants to meet you in creativity with restoration? I just want us to close our eyes just for a moment. The Bible says this beautiful phrase, when I am weak, then I am strong. Some of us have heard, when I am weak, then God is strong. That is true, but God lives in you. The Bible says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And I just want to take a moment and say, is there any place you feel ashamed, like a big old failure? And right there, maybe in that place, God wants to restore and birth creativity. And if you would, just in that place with eyes closed, maybe there was something specific or maybe it was something general 
But if you could just say those words, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Just say it loud enough for your own ears to hear it. We're getting comfortable with the end of our resources so God can birth creativity. We're getting comfortable with weakness, but not being identified by it, but but being identified by the very identity of Christ in restoration. Amen. As we go, maybe the Lord will keep working in that one area, this word restore. But the story goes on. It's a beautiful story. The next word I want to look at is this word reimagine. Reimagine. I like Mary's words. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. So you come to the end of your wine. You feel like the whole party's gone south. Life's a train wreck. And it would be good counsel to take up the words of Mary into our lives. I believe that not only does creativity and restoration begin where the wine runs out, I believe that it is initiated when we will do this, whatever he tells us. A great posture of life is to say, Lord, I am just, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea for my business right now. Here I am with my child. They've hit the wall. I thought parenting was supposed to be fun. It sucks. I don't know what to do with this teenage kid. I am in a financial ruin right now. There's no place for the money to come. Here's a great phrase. I'm willing to do whatever you say. The wine has run out. Here I am, fully surrendered. God loves this posture that Mary commends because it allows God to be God. It allows creativity to begin. So what would it look like if you said, I am willing to do whatever he says. I think creativity is born from that. In fact, what we're about to see is a total reimagining. Jesus looks for what's there. Now, this is creative. He takes six stone jars. Now, 30 gallons worth. Might I just add, Jesus is serious about partying. He makes a 180 gallons of wine. He does not make a juice cup. Go, bring this to the bridegroom. You know, the thimble of of juice. The dude makes 180 gallons of wine. This is so offensive to American Christians, by the way. I don't know about Ireland, but I mean, goodness gracious. It's like, if he ever wanted to make a statement, he made it, right? He takes those six stone jars. Now, what were the, it says what they were used for. The Jewish rites of purification. Just a bonus, a little bit of liberty here, but I believe in order for us to see creativity explode in our churches, we're going to have to be free of the religious control. I remember the Lord saying this to me, Adam, now just, just wait, this is a little intense. Adam, the church is creatively constipated. I know, none of you wants to think about constipation right now. The church is creatively constipated. And he said, if you want to see artists back in the church and creativity released, it's got to get messy again. It's like, whoa, that's graphic. 
He actually said to me, the church has given away part of its brain. We've, we're operating with one side of our brain and not the other. It's time to liberate, to reimagine, to bring back the imaginative part. Who made the imagination? It was God. And I believe we're going to have to be free of religious control if we want to see creativity burst into the marketplace, into the public sector, into the civic areas of the world into our everyday fathering and mothering in schools. We're going to have to see a mess again. Is the church okay with the mess? If we're not, we will not see creativity. We're going to have to see reimaginations. Well, Jesus takes everything they had known about purification, and he's about to change the entire narrative. It will no longer be water which purifies, but it will only and ever be the precious blood of Jesus which purifies humanity. We can't just wash our hands in a vat. He's going to have to do something sacrificial and beautiful in his suffering and miraculous. Now, he could have taught a sermon on the atonement, but instead he does a creative sign and a wonder to show the greatest narrative ever in history from water to wine. Our whole way of understanding purity and sanctification and righteousness is going to have to change. Six was the number of humanity. He's going to do something miraculous through a human being. It's awesome. He's reimagining. Six stone water jars. Something so normal, something so common can become something miraculous. Something profound. I believe that creativity is about how we see. I remember in those early days when we were welcoming artists, I felt like one of the most uncreative people in history. And I remember God say, Adam, you're an artist. And I was like, I don't paint. I don't draw. I can do nothing. He said, creativity, artists, the artists of the Bible were the prophets. He's like, it's how you see that makes you creative. It's how you listen that makes you creative. Are you willing to see what only God can see? Are you willing to tap it and listen to what only God can hear? Because from that place comes the wellspring of the creator and us made in his image. And so, I believe creativity is how we see taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. Remember the story of Nathaniel was right before this. Jesus says, before Philip called you, I saw you. Do you know every one of you, before you were called to faith, before you met Jesus, Jesus already knew you, he designed you, and he saw you. And something happened when when Nathaniel realized Jesus saw him, it says that Jesus said, I, he opened his eyes and he said to Nathaniel, now you will see even greater things than what you've just experienced. Not only that, you're about to see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending before and on the Son of Man. Now Nathaniel's standing at this party he, that was the last story. Nathaniel's here. He's seeing the water and the wine. He's thinking about himself. And what I want to say is, you've got to reimagine your own life in the eyes of God. Creativity will not begin until you see yourself the way God sees you. He takes the ordinary, the stone jar, the Nathaniel, and he makes it something extraordinary. God is so creative, and he's busy with the new creation. God takes scarcity, and he turns it into innovation, into radical creativity. 
He takes limitation and he liberates it to make it something incredible and extraordinary. This is the nature of God. He takes these few fishermen and he turns the world upside down with them. They're just like you and I. It's a reimagining of everything we thought was mundane or ordinary. But it doesn't start until we see ourselves the way God sees us. And we begin to take the little that we have and give it over into the extraordinary hands of God. So I say, what is in your hand right now? What are you holding that you can reimagine with God? Now, I want to tell you a story. This is one of my favorite stories. I, lo- I absolutely love this story. And it came to mind when I was thinking about this point of Jesus taking six stone jars filled to the brim with water, and when they were served, which I believe is a key, they were turned to miraculous wine. Now, this man here, his name is George Washington Carver. How many have heard of George Washington Carver? Raise your hand. Okay, cool. It's only a couple. That's actually fun. So George Washington Carver is an American hero. Next to him are peanuts. I'm sure you have those. Now, I'm a little bit sad about this part because my daughter's actually allergic to peanuts. So, um, you know, I'm sorry. I apologize ahead of time. It's like her worst nightmare to see peanuts up there, but that's okay. This is a profound story. So I want to just share this story of George Washington Carver with you. So he was born in 1864 near the end of the Civil War. He was born as a slave, but he was born one year before slavery ended in 1865. He was orphaned as a baby. And his slave owners actually decided to adopt him and raise him along with his brother, which was beautiful. And they actually taught him how to read and write, which was radical in the time. And George Washington Carver was also raised in the faith. He had this deep desire to fellowship with the creator. They ended up calling him kind of the plant doctor. He had this passion and desire to know the creator and to know who and how God was revealing himself through the creation. And he used to have all these incredible conversations with God. So as he was growing up, one of the things that George Washington Carver said was, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we'll only tune in. Now, Ireland is like the perfect place to find this out. This is the most gorgeous place ever. Don't come to Kansas City if you want physical beauty, but there's other beautiful things about it. But what if creation is always broadcasting, teaching us about God? George Washington Carver said, if you'll just tune in, you could hear God actually proclaiming himself from creation every minute, every hour. He used to call his workshop God's Little Workshop. And it was a beautiful practice that he had to learn to listen to God in that workshop. Now, the time that he lived was an economic crisis. He lived in the south of America, and the only main crop was cotton, which was part of the division of the Civil War, and why it all started was the economic reality of slavery and cotton. So, incredibly redemptive of what this man's about to enter into. In the middle of the economic crisis, George Washington Carver began to pray this prayer to God. And I, I just love this. He said, each day he would pray that God would reveal secrets about plants and vegetables. Listen to this prayer. Mr. Creator, show me the secrets of your universe. 
The one who made the cosmos and turned chaos into cosmos is the one who understands why he revealed everything that he revealed and why he created everything that he created. And Carver was tuning into that and so was saying, show me the secrets of your universe. Now, one day, God replied back to him. I love this. Little man, just so we remember, you're not big enough to know the secrets of my universe, but I will show you the secret of the peanut. Can you imagine this quiet time? I want to save the economy of America And God says, I will show you the secret of the peanut. (laughs) This little, tiny, ordinary, silly thing. Now, in the mid-1800s, the peanut was not even considered a crop in America. Fifty years later, because of George Washington Carver, the peanut would be in the top six crops in all of America and would save the U.S. economy. The Lord showed George Washington Carver more than 300 uses for the peanut and its shell. George Washington Carver said, if you love anything enough, it'll tell you its secrets. He said, Mr. Creator of the universe, sir, would you please show me the secrets of your universe? God said, you can't handle it, dude. I'll blow you up. I'll just show you the peanut. I was undone by this story. That God can take something so small, so seemingly ordinary, and he, through the heart of a servant and the relentless pursuit of the secret place, can bring forth creativity in the marketplace that can change a nation. I believe in the mid-1800s, the Quakers did a similar thing in the middle of a famine in this nation. It made me wonder... What secrets are waiting for those who would ask the creator of the universe? Now, maybe God didn't plan for you and and the good works he prepared in advance as you're his masterpiece for you to save the national economy. Right now, we could use that if that's in the room with Brexit and all the rest. That's fine. Maybe someone in this room is made for that. But maybe it's creativity in your everyday life with your teenager. Or maybe it's In your workplace where you've hit a dead end and you literally do not know where to go with this one employee or a creative solution. The heart of a servant and the relentless pursuit of the secret, God said, I will show you things which you do not know and I will unlock creativity in your midst. Jesus takes stone jars and water and he reimagines them into the display of the gospel. And I absolutely love that. Oh, wow, we're past time. Bad. I blew it, bro. Sorry, I wasn't checking in. I'm going to do this last one quick. It's okay. Represent. At the end of the story, it says that his glory was manifested and many believed. I believe that this word represent is the word for Ireland. I believe it's the word for the Western world. This is where it's not just personal, not just where you're personally restored or reimagining your life, but imagine all of us together, the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold is the kaleidoscope of intricate wisdom from God, the multifaceted wisdom. Imagine all of our lives in Emmanuel Porta Down. How does God want to put his represented glory on display through our everyday lives filled with his creativity? 
God wants to represent Jesus to a culture that's been burnt over by the church, by church scandals. I believe this is a word that God can creatively represent the good news of Jesus Christ to this culture. And I believe he wants to do it through the everyday lives of everyone in here. That he wants to take your broken places and he wants to restore them. That he wants to take the places you've run out of resource and reimagine them. That he wants to take the places uh, of your ordinary, whatever you're holding in your hand, and he wants to reimagine them with you and put the glory of God on display in this culture. Now, I want to just give an invitation to, to kind of close this morning. And it is simply water to wine. For some of you, you may be here and you don't even know Jesus yet. And, and this is a place where you would say, I feel ashamed like that bridegroom at the wedding and, and I want my life restored. And a simple prayer is, would you take my water, you know, like, Kintsugi, would you take my broken vessel and would you put gold in it? Would you restore me? Maybe it's a place of restoration in your life right now in a relationship or a marriage. And the Lord just wants you to pray the simple prayer. Take my water and turn it to wine. For some of us, we've hit a dead end in our finances or our work. We have no creativity. And the Lord wants to say, I want to reimagine life with you. Just turn my water to wine would be your prayer. And some of us are being challenged to put his glory on display, to represent the glory of God to the culture. And, and we would pray, would you turn the water to wine? So I want to invite you just to stand with me at the end. And, and we're going to pray that simple prayer. If we could open our hands to the Lord this morning. Just close our, our eyes and just open our hands to the Lord. And I want you to get in mind, is it, is it restore that you need? Is it reimagine that you need? Is it represent that you need? Where do you need the creative miracle of God? Where do you need him to turn water into wine? Is it acknowledging the end of your resources? The wine has run out. And whenever you're ready, just in your own heart, I'll pray for you in a minute. But would you just pray that prayer, turn my water into wine? I believe God wants to do something miraculous through Emmanuel Porta Down. I believe that he wants to do something miraculous because this city is waiting like a party for the new wine. But it's not until we present our lives into his hands that he can do the miracle. To do whatever he says so wherever you need it, just begin to pray that prayer. Turn the water into wine. felt there was someone that had a financial dead end. And the Lord said, I want to do water to wine right there. Someone with a, um, 
an enigma at work, like a, a strategic decision, you're at a crossroads and you don't know which way to take. And the Lord has a creative way that you haven't seen yet. This one's really sacred. I want to just bless those who say, I really need restoration in a major place of pain. Lord, I'm praying that you would put gold into the cracks of the heart. I pray where there is shame and this person or these people have not even wanted to show you their cracks. They've been unwilling to even share this with someone else. I want you to show them the gold going into the cracks today. Maybe it's sexual brokenness. It's a failure. It's a place where you feel like you really messed it up. I'm asking right now for water to wine, for the purifying, restoring, cleansing gold of God, that this would become the testimony. Like the guy who drove me to the airport, this is now his testimony. There's gold in the cracks. Lord, we release the power of your spirit right now to the broken places of shame. That there will be a day where you not only don't hide those cracks, but you show them to the world. You put the glory on display. You represent the creativity of God's restoration. feel like um, there's one or two other words just on, on this whole theme. I feel like there's somebody who's saying this really gently, but the, the water this morning is the moment because if you don't change it soon, the water's starting to get stagnant. And I think it's maybe even something to do with uh, unforgiveness or... Um, Maybe even with God, and I just feel like there's a there's a sense of the, the the presence of the Lord here, just really gently saying, "Today is the day. I want to I want to turn this I want to turn this into wine." And God, I just ask you that all over this room that you would release the solutions of heaven, oh God, creative solutions, oh God, for the, the wow. situations that we find ourselves in, the designs and architecture and thoughts that are conceived. Lord, by the Spirit, Lord, in heaven, release them all over this room today, we pray in Jesus' name. And God, for us as a body, Lord, trying to work out how we move forward as a church, we ask you, God, not just to give it to me or Chris or some of the leaders, God, here. We know that the, the mind of Christ is in the body of Christ. And so, God, I pray, Lord, for all of us as a people together, as a family here, that you would release solutions of God, solutions of how we bring life to the city, how we, how we find a new building, how we move forward together. We ask, oh God, for dreams in the night, for, Lord, just the insights as we drive our cars, oh God. Lord, we pray for new dreams in the secret place, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would release that all over, all over this place, all over every person in this place. Now, pray for creative solutions and designs of heaven yeah. conceived by the Spirit to be released in this place. 
In Jesus' name, Lord. In Jesus' name. We thank you for your presence here. Okay, so it's...